You're listening to audio from First Baptist Church, Rockville. If you'd like to know more about our church and ministries, please visit our website at fbcrockville.com. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. You know, that's a choice. It really is. Every day we wake up, we can thank God or say, oh, me, another day. What am I going to do today? Continuing in Philippians, we'll be in Philippians chapter 3, uh, verses 12 through the end of the chapter. But we need to talk a little bit about what we've been covering so far to see what the theme is that he's carrying through the book. And, uh, you know, the first uh, week we found out that in chapter 1 of verse, uh, in, in chapter 1 of Philippians, verse 6, Paul says this, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So he's confident that the work he has started, he's going to complete. And then in chapter 2, he he gives us the, well, actually, still in chapter 1, in verse 27, a theme he's continuing through this, we'll actually carry it on today. He said, just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. It makes a difference to live a life worthy of the gospel, one that displays him, that displays his attitude, this attitude, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, chapter 2 and verse 6, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. And we talked about that attitude uh, last week. I said, uh, in addition to these things, in addition to knowing that he's going to carry on the work, that we should live a life worthy of the gospel, that we should have the attitude of Christ Jesus, he said, to rejoice in the Lord. In addition, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, rejoice in the Lord. And then he gave us a warning about people who come in and try to make it all about works again following rules and following regulations for their salvation, and he warns them about that. And then he also said, you know, I had a lot of things. Had a lot of things in my life that were going my way until God got my attention. And all those things I once counted as gain, I now count as loss. Put it in the rubbish pile because to know him To know Jesus himself is all I want. Is that all you want? Is that all I want? Let's pray together. Father, we, all of us have dementia as believers at some point in time or another. We forget 
that you called us out when we weren't looking, that you started the salvation in our life, that you have blessed us with all the spiritual blessings and the heavenly places, that you have redeemed us, we have forgiveness of sin with you. Father, we're to reflect you as you work through us. So help us today, Father, to understand, what it, again, what it looks like to live a life worthy of the gospel. Lord, we need to hear from you. If we don't, we've heard nothing today. So I pray you'll take your word and work it into our hearts for your glory and for a world that's watching to see you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul says that his goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection. And not only that, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. And so when we conform ourselves to his death, we are denying ourselves in order to follow him. And he's looking forward to the resurrection from the dead. You know, it's one of the things that uh, I've told you before, and if one of your family members dies and you ask me to do the funeral, I'm, uh, one question I'm going to ask you is, is it okay with you that I share the gospel? And if the answer is no, I don't do the funeral. Why? It's important to know that there's life after this one. Yeah, this isn't it. And, you know, we, there's, only, there's only two places. There's condemnation, a place we call hell, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, or if you know Christ as your Savior, go to eternal bliss. We wouldn't even know what that looks like, but I guarantee you, according to God's Word, it's going to be way, way better than what we have down here. You know, we generally have a life of struggle. We have a life of challenge with sometimes little spikes of things that we like going our way. And so Paul says, well, you know, I haven't reached it yet. So let's, let's uh, pick up there in verse 12 of chapter 3 of Philippians. So he, he's continuing on. He says, not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way, and if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things. 
but our, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. There's a lot in there. I don't know about you, but I am so glad and thankful that he began the work in my heart. I did not. The scriptures say we're dead. We are spiritually dead. No one seeks after God. You say, well, I sought after God. Well, that's because he began a work in your heart to seek him. Who is this God? Is there a God? Who is he? And how does he reveal himself to me? Well, he reveals himself through his word. He reveals himself in his creation. And reveals himself through preaching or through a neighbor, sharing with a neighbor. Now, remember teaching evangelism uh, classes time and time again in churches. And, and one of the things I would do, and I probably did it, I don't know how many times, I can't even count them. And I'd say, who first told you about Jesus? And here's the good news. I think it's good news. The number one answer was not the pastor. The number one answer was not a missionary. I heard a babysitter. I heard a lady at Dairy Queen. I heard grandma. I heard grandpa. I heard uncle. I heard wife. That's the way it should happen. People should hear the gospel from you. I mean, from all of us, not just the guy who stands up here on Sunday morning. Although I'm tickled to do it and pleased to do it. That's my calling, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, again, what does it look like? So Paul, in his humility, I mean, quite a guy, when you think of his status, so to speak, prior to becoming a believer, you know, I guess you would consider him high-ranking. We talked about that last week, about being a Pharisee. But even afterwards, I believe he's been way elevated to be an apostle. He saw Jesus. So he has had position, so to speak, uh, prior to salvation in a worldly way, and then after salvation, an apostle. People that listen to what he says because he's seen the risen Lord. And in all of that, he humbles himself and he, he admits, I've, I haven't made it. And, and there were a lot of people. Uh, some of the Corinthians, for example, they were, in the first chapter of Corinthians, they were saying, well, hey, I was baptized by Paul. And somebody said, well, I was baptized by Apollos. They were putting, you know, weights on these men, and he was really lifted up to be something high in the minds of those who were being baptized. So he says, you know, I, just, I haven't arrived yet. And I think you already know I haven't. But if you need extra ammunition, just talk to my lovely wife down there on the second row. And, and she's, well, yeah, okay. I'll leave it at that. Well, don't laugh because your wife would do the same thing to you. <laughs> or your spouse or some family member would do the same thing to you. You just haven't gotten there yet. We're all in the process in the, what we call sanctification. That's the, that's the big biblical word that we use. And Paul says, I am in process. He's not perfect. 
So, is that it? Now, we all would say, we would all have to say by Scripture that we're saved by grace. Through faith, and that it's not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. We would need to say that. So, is that it? Is it over? Well, let's read. You know, God has done his part in our salvation and sanctification. He's taken hold of us. We have a part to play by obeying his word. Our hearts should be bent toward God, and our actions and words should show it. And this is where he says, making every effort to take hold of knowing him. So I want to read that verse again. I make every effort to take hold of it because... I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. So he takes hold of you, and and this is really a a working out in chapter 2. I I didn't say this in review, but in chapter 2, he talks about working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So God works in, and then we work out by faith, our faith in him. And so... We do have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to know his word. We have a responsibility to obey his word. And when he speaks to us about anything, where you're going to live, where you're going to work, who you're going to marry, all those things, where you're going to go to school, we really need to run by him. What does he want? So this is the working out but, you know, it's not enough for him to say that once. He, he says it again, brothers and sisters, I do not, do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. And we're going to spend a little bit of time here because every one of us in this room have had bad things, hurtful things, painful things, traumatic things happen to us. And if we haven't dealt with those things, we are stuck in this life. Now, Paul had two issues to deal with about forgetting. So, and he's already talked about him once. He talks about the position that he had, how zealous he was for God. He was a Pharisee among the Pharisees. He he was all puffed up and all those types of things. He he needed to forget that and deal with that. And and he just showed evidence of that earlier in this chapter. But now we need to look at something else. And this is the part, both are challenges, but this is where I believe a lot of believers, yes, believers, are stuck in their life. Forgetting what is behind. We see the devil has lost the battle for our soul, for those of us who know Christ as Savior, but he surely doesn't want us spreading the gospel to anyone else. And so one of his big tools that he he uses is constantly accusing us of present failures or past failures, not successfully dealing with our past. So he's accusing us to try to keep us from the peace and joy we have in Christ. Unworthy of his riches. 
And Paul had much to overcome in this battle over his past. Let's take a look see. Acts chapter 6. His name was Saul at this time, not Paul. This is what it says. Now Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. There's another slide. And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at him and saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Face of, now, we usually say that to the girls, don't we? Oh, she's just, the, she's just the cutest little angel you ever have seen. I used to tell in my previous ministry, when we had first grandchild, she was, I would I always tease them and said, my granddaughter is the smartest and the prettiest girl in See, I had to say Fort Wayne because they all had grandkids too. Or some of them did. We, we talk about, you know, they're just little angels. When we took our boys to go to, to my mom and dad's house and they watch them and we come back. Of course, when we took them, they were pretty aggravating. But when we got there, we said, well, how'd they do? Oh, they were as good as gold. They were just little angels. Well, I'm glad for you <laughs> that, <laughs> that they were that. They saw his face as the face of an angel. Now, now this was stood out. This, this stood out. He, he, the count, just his presence, the count. The, why? It was because he was full of the Holy Spirit and he had this look about him. Keep that in mind. Next chapter, Acts chapter 7. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's why his face was like the way it was gazed into heaven. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They yelled at the top of their voices, covered their ears, and together rushed against him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him, and the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named who? Saul, who we now know as Paul. I wrote the book, the book to the Philippians. While they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Paul witnessed all that. He saw his face as the face of an angel. You know, Stephen also prayed to forgive them. Did he not? Paul saw that. Do you think the devil didn't use that? Do you think the devil didn't bring back into his mind because we've got to keep reading. Now we're going to go to Acts 26. Actually, we didn't go far enough. I didn't finish out verse 60. He knelt down, Stephen did, and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And after saying this, he fell asleep. Saul agreed with putting him to death. Cast his vote. Acts 26. Now, we just read two passages prior to Saul's conversion. Now we're going to read a couple of passages after his conversion, but this is his own testimony. Acts 26 and verse 9. In fact, I myself was convinced 
that it was necessary to do many things in opposition to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I actually did this in Jerusalem, and I locked up many of the saints in prison since I had received authority for that from the chief priest. When they were put to death, I was in agreement against them. In all the synagogues, I often punished them and tried to make them blaspheme. Since I was terribly enraged at them, I pursued them even to foreign cities. You think the devil didn't use that against him? You, you know what you did? You remember? Can you remember the faces on when these people were wondering, why am I being thrown into prison? Why am I being told to blaspheme the name that saved me? Watch the progression here. Now in 1 Timothy chapter 1, this passage, and then we'll move on. I give thanks to Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man. But I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. But I received mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Well, praise the Lord. So the only thing Paul or any of you, myself, can hang our head on, so to speak, is we've been forgiven. That's it. He forgave everything. Everything. Now, when he says forgetting what is behind, he's not talking about the absence of memory. In fact, <laughs> he didn't forget his position that he had as a Pharisee. He didn't, he didn't forget the fact that he was born in the tribe of Benjamin. He didn't forget. So this isn't talking about put it out of your mind, it won't come back. No, we can't erase. We just cannot erase that memory. So what does it mean? Well, forgetting doesn't mean to no longer remember. It means to no longer be influenced or affected by it. And this is why this forgetting part is so important for the believer. Because if we don't do this, we're stuck. Sometimes at a place in time. I've known people, many people, who have not matured as a person because of a trauma that happened to them when they were young. And they still operate in the maturity of a high schooler. And they may be 40, 50, 60 years old. Why? Because they haven't reckoned with that trauma. They haven't reckoned with that pain. They haven't reckoned with that affliction. But Paul knew that he couldn't be held by his past any longer. You see, that's why for Paul, and the reason why he's one of my favorite characters in, in the Bible is because he knew how much he'd been forgiven. He never forgot. He never got over it. 
He's always talking about the gospel of grace. He's always talking about mercy. He's always talking about the loving kindness of God, the patience of God. And then he's rejoicing. Well, why is he rejoicing? He says it many times in the book of Philippians. Why is he saying that? Because he's, he's totally joyful knowing what he got forgiven of. I mean, how many of us in this room or those watching uh, online have cast your vote for somebody to be murdered? How many of us have dragged somebody into prison because of their faith? No matter what the faith is. How many of us have wrecked families because of that behavior? I've talked about it before, but you know what? That, I don't they had the union shops back then or some type of plan where, hey, you know, if you get thrown in jail, uh, you know, we'll take care of you for however long. In fact, that's not the case today at all. Many times when employers find out that you've been in jail, you're, you're gone. His choices wrecked whole families. So yes, he knew what he was talking about experientially when he said, I've got to forget that that what happened in the past. I've got to forget it. I, I've got to, I can't let it affect me anymore. And for many of us, even in this room, it may be forgiveness is what you're lacking. Not admitting that what somebody did to you was right, but you can't let it hold you back. So there's two pieces to this. The, what I can say the victorious Christian life is one is reckoning with your past, putting the past in its proper place scripturally because if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. When he says we confess our sin, that he's faithful just to forgive us our sin, when we confess it, he forgives it. And his blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So Paul overcame by that, but so there's one part. The other part of that is reaching forward. And I'll just say to you, if you don't forget, your, forget what happened in the past and have, have, don't deal with it, you can't move forward. That's a hard thing to that's a hard thing to swallow. We also have some scriptures here we need to read as well. Colossians chapter two. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. That's a good place for a four-letter word that begins with an A. That's an amen. Look, my debt is gone. Not only my debt, but it says with its obligations. You're supposed to pay your debt, right? We have a sin debt that we can never pay. But he paid it, and he did it by taking it to the cross. And I just quoted 1 John 1, 9. We can go on to the next one. Psalm 103 says this. 
He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as it removed our transgressions from us. Now that's really good news. You know, we've talked about this a little bit before. It's worth repeating again because people don't really think about it. He didn't use north and south. He didn't say as far as the north is from the south because that wouldn't make any sense, would it? When you go north and you get to the Arctic and you start going the other way, which direction are you going that way? You're going south. And you take it all the way down to the Antarctic and you come around this side and you're going north again. But when you go east, you can always go east. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And, uh, and that's what the enemy uses over and over and over again in our lives. I talked to someone just last week, and one of their hang-ups was, I don't know if I can keep my commitment to him. If I say I'm going to give my life to Christ, I just don't know if I can keep it. And I used to think that way too. That's why it requires faith. You know, if you're reasoning that out and saying, you know, I just don't know what I can do, it's not about what you can do. In fact, there's nothing you can do. By faith we trust that his payment was sufficient, and it is. Here's some more good news, Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. Because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And he who searches our hearts and knows the, knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That's what he's after. He's going to make us into the image of his Son. And if we don't forget or reckon as finished and complete our past, we're going to be hung up. Now, we just read that Stephen full of the Holy Spirit, said, don't hold this sin against them. He did that before Jesus did. Didn't Jesus say that on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. In verse 14, he says, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. You have, we all have choices. We can look backwards or we can look forwards. And looking backwards, unless you need to deal with something, there's no, it goes nowhere. It just goes down from there. And you get stuck down there. The only thing the past does for you is to remember your salvation and what he paid for that salvation, but also to deal with unconfessed sin or undealt with trauma. You've got to look forward. I have to look forward. Yes, I'm tempted to look back. Yes, you're tempted to look back and say, well, what's going to happen today? Where's the shoe going to drop today? 
Where's the bad news? I believe in Murphy's Law. So he pursues. Yet it's our part. God saves us. He does all that. And he's going to make us conform to the image of his son. But we have a responsibility to respond to what his word says. We have a responsibility to respond to what his Holy Spirit is saying to us as well. He is not finished with us yet. He didn't save us to sit on the sidelines. We don't ride the pines in God's kingdom. We are all on the playing floor. Now, I got some really good news for you in here. Verse 15. Therefore, all of us who are mature think this way. Let all of us who are mature think this way. And here's the good news. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. That is very, very encouraging to me. That Have you ever prayed, Lord, if, if I have stinking thinking that you'll correct me? You ever pray that way? If I'm not thinking right, if I'm not reading this correctly, or if I'm not behaving myself correctly, that you'll, you'll intervene in my life? According to this, he'll do it. And lest we lift Paul up too much, he doesn't talk about he, he doesn't talk about his doubts or his failings like like we got on Peter, where Peter denied the Lord three times. We don't really get that with Paul. You don't read that anywhere. But I do believe that he had challenges like we all do in completely obeying the word of God. But he's faithful to grow us into the image of his son. And I'll tell you, that, that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. So we go to, get down to verses 16 through 19, and, and, uh, and it's an encouragement again to live a life worthy of the gospel. Verse 16, in any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things. Why do you think he cried over that? Because that's where he was. He, he was so convicted of his self-righteousness that he could see it in others. And they were always serving themselves. But he doesn't sugarcoat it. He says they're enemies of the cross of Christ. And he tells the end is, is, is their destruction. And many times when people try to be good to earn their salvation, it's really a selfish thing. This is something I can do. This is something I can earn. This is something that I can deserve. But they're focused on earthly things. Say, what are we focused on today? 
What are you focused on today? Are you bent towards spiritual things? Are you bent towards worldly things? Earthly things? Well, that's the bad news. He, he weeps for those because he could say, I once was there. And then we have a good conjunction here. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. He has all the power in the world. He is going to transform us one day. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Not because of what we've done, but because of what he's going to do. He's going to complete the salvation that he began in our hearts. And notice that he says he'll transform the body of our humble condition, which if you read some uh, commentators, they actually say that it's the body of our corruption. Just because we've been born again does not mean we don't have a sinful nature anymore. And so we have this, this corrupt, sinful nation, nature still inside us, but he's even going to take care of that one day. One day he's going to set us free from that. One day I'm not going to have to struggle to do the right thing. One day I'm not going to have to struggle to obey. And that day's coming. Living a life worthy of the gospel matters. Believers and unbelievers alike are watching to see what kind of example we display. They're watching. And they know if you're genuine or not. They know if you're really walking the way you are. We have a secure hope in his transforming power going to be ours one day. Our salvation's already done. So we'll just need to ask you a few questions. What are you hung up on today? What's holding you back from a walking forward in the gospel? Is there something you need to deal with today to put your past in the proper place? Are you stuck? God's still in the business of moving us on. He's still in the business of growing us up if we'll submit our hearts to him. Now that's our responsibility in following him. Would you stand with me? Father, we are, we're humbled before you when we think of all that you've done. And even though our sins may not be like Paul's were, we still have sin. We have the same corrupt nature that he had. And Lord, I just pray that you'll give us the gift today of reckoning with our past, the past that's holding us back. also pray against the enemy right now who's ruthless in his accusations against us 
And I pray you'll remove his influence right here, right now in this place. May we look to you and your word on what your word says we are. We are the beloved, your chosen ones. And Lord, may we employ your word in the power of the Holy Spirit in rejecting those accusations he brings against us. Because even though they may be true, in that we've not dealt with our past, even though it may be true that we have sinned in the past. If we've trusted you and confessed our sin to you, you've cleansed us from that sin. And we have your righteousness and only your righteousness in our life. So may we run to you. May we draw close to you as we resist the enemy and his attacks against us. Lord, also, as we deal with things in the past, we must have a forward look. And not just a forward look to what we can imagine, a forward look that we're going to see you face to face one day as your children. Where our bodies are going to be transformed, it will be in your presence. The Lord, work in our hearts today for your glory so that we can shine as lights in this dark world that needs to see the truth that will set them free. And I ask it in Jesus' name.